Our invitation today to God comes from Psalm 51. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out our transgressions. Wash away all our iniquity and cleanse us from our sin. For we know our transgressions and our sins are always before us. Cleanse us with hyssop and we will be clean. Wash us and we will be whiter than snow. Hide your face from our sins and blot out all our iniquity. Create in us a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and grant us a willing spirit to sustain us. Our sacrifice, O God, is our broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. Old Testament scripture reading is Micah chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. In the Pew Bible, it's page 859. Who is a God like you who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea. And the New Testament reading is from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 to 10, and it is on page uh, 1079 in your pew Bibles. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption and sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will. To the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The Gospel reading is from Luke 36 through 47. While they were saying all this, Jesus appeared to them and said, Peace be with you. They thought they were seeing a ghost and were scared half to death. He continued with them, don't be upset and don't let these doubting questions take over. Look at my hands, look at my feet. It's really me. Touch me. Look me over from head to toe. A ghost doesn't have muscle and bone like this. As he said this, he showed them his hands and feet. They still couldn't believe what they were seeing. It was too much. It seemed too good to be true. He asked, do you have any food here? 
They gave him a piece of leftover fish they had cooked. He took it and ate it right before their eyes. Then he said, Everything I told you while I was with you comes to this. All the things written about me in the Law of Moses, in the Prophets, and in the Psalms have been fulfilled. He went on to open their understanding of the Word of God, showing them how to read their Bibles this way. He said, you can see now how it is written that the Messiah suffers, rises from the dead on the third day, and then a total life change through forgiveness of sins is proclaimed in his name to all nations, starting from here, from Jerusalem. I like the reference in Luke that we just read, this story. Christ has been crucified and resurrected and he's appeared to the apostles. Demonstrated that he's flesh and blood for he eats with them this piece of broiled fish on the seashore. And in this context, he makes the remarkable statement at the end. All of the things that have been pointed to in scripture about, said about me come down to a few incredible things. If you're still open in your Bible to Luke 24, follow with me. Verse 44, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that was written about me. Moses, prophets, and the Psalms. He opened their minds about what was written. The Messiah would suffer and rise on the third day, done. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins would be preached in his name to all nations, starting in Jerusalem. He declared the apostles' witnesses, not only of what he was saying then, but of what he had borne witness to in Scripture and in life. And then he commissions I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay until you've been clothed with power from on high. This forgiveness of sins thing is becoming increasingly challenging in the modern world or postmodern world. Fewer of us have a sense of guilt as we live our lives. Fewer of us have a sense of what it means to be somehow out of harmony with some kind of ideal because there are so many ideals proposed in this pluralistic society that we don't have any idea almost anymore of what an ideal ought to be. Gabe Lyons has reinvented the conversation on this regard for us and I'd like to just share with you his matrix. When we tell our story as Christians, that is to say that God created, human beings rebelled or fell, Christ uh, came uh, to redeem, and we tell about the redemption that has come to us in God's action in the world, and then finally the restoration of all things that takes place from this point forward. We're part of that restoration moving from this time forward into the kingdom yet to come. That's the framework we're familiar with. But in conversation, it might be reframed this way. How ought to things be? 
How ought things to be, excuse me. How ought things to be? If we ask ourselves how things ought to be, we get a sense of what the created order was about. Because when we examine what ought to be, warfare, murder, envy, strife of all kinds don't appear, do they? When we ask what should a relationship look like, for most of us it is not when we look at the ought characterized by violation or violence. It's not characterized by control and abuse. It's not characterized by dominance. It's characterized by other qualities. When we ask ourselves what ecology ought to look like, our rivers should not be filled with trash. They should be filled with fish. Our land should not be carved up into little pieces, but might be open. When we ask what ought to be, we get at a sense of what created order must have looked like. When we ask how things are, we find the ruin and the brokenness of our own world and our own lives. We can't talk about any sphere of existence in the human endeavor in which we don't sense that something is broken, something is wrong, something could be better. Talk to me about the economy. Talk to me about leadership and government or even church. Talk to me about the private sector and the way in which it is running our lives. Talk to me about ecology. Talk to me about any facet of human politic or existence. And we find the brokenness. It's how things are. When we get to the question, what can we do? We begin to enter the realm of God's redemption. We begin to partner with him to say, what can happen that might do something to change the way things are? What can happen? That's the question that the Christian needs to be asking. Christ puts himself into the story as the creator, which he is, and the savior, which he is, the redeemer, which he is, the one who brings us forgiveness. But it's not enough in our story to simply say, I have a sense of what should be, I fall far short of that, and I've been forgiven of that. That is a terrible ending to the story. It's an incomplete ending. It doesn't ask what can take place with God through the Spirit being agents in our lives, agency in our lives to bring about transformation and change. It doesn't address the whole of redemption. And finally, it ignores restoration, which is when we not only ask what can happen, we ask, what could be? What could we envision? What could we participate in? What could God do if he started over? We get a sense of what's coming. This is all, in my view, real mercy. Whether we're talking about a creative act of God by which he takes my heart of stone and makes it a heart of flesh, or if he takes my tendency to brokenness and seeks to fix and repair. 
whether he takes my sin and forgives it, whatever matrix we want to apply to this, God is at the center of it, acting in real mercy. You see, if we come to the understanding that what ought to be is what he created and that what he created was good as he said it was, and that by our choices, each of us, we've negatively affected that. We've disturbed and destroyed that and in that process alienated ourselves. We understand a little bit more about real mercy. When we read the prophet Micah and he says, I'm going to separate you from the consequences of what you've done in terms of death, the second death. I'm going to forgive your sins and heal your nation and your land. We get a sense of the real mercy of our God. So whatever language, whatever vision we have, whatever sensibilities we have about the current state of things, we don't have to go far in asking what ought to be, what is, what can we, we participate in, what can God do, and what could be to get this sense of the full story. As we come to the table, we participate in this story in a way that's so fresh and so real. We participate in this story as Christ did, leaving heaven, coming to earth, taking on flesh, being the word of generativity and the word of God now living among us, taking a servant's role and washing our feet, sitting at a table and breaking bread, promising that one day we'll do this again in the kingdom of heaven, the world made new. Whether you've thought about it this way or not, this is an act of real mercy we're participating in. And it's an act of creativity that we're participating in. Because we've listened to the question, what can be? And God's grace has spoken to our lives. And now we're moving into what ought to be and we're participating in something that generates an awareness of the cost of our sin. But more hopefully, a community that celebrates the real mercy that's come. Good morning, Father. Your servant Luke tells us that your son Jesus approached the sharing of the final cup with eagerness. We are eager today to share this cup with you. The symbol of the life that you gave to us, that we celebrate every day and live every day, and the life that you sacrificed for us, that we might be forgiven, that our relationship with each other and with you might be restored. We thank you for this life and for your life. And we look forward to the day in the new kingdom when we will share this cup with you. We ask your blessing upon our actions today. In the name of Jesus our Lord, amen. This is not just the cup of vengeance or justice. It's the cup of true mercy. The Word made flesh poured out His life 
for you. We're in the season of Yom Kippur, which someone was kind enough to point out to me. I had misprinted. It's actually began at sundown last evening. But communion harks back to Passover, another important time in which we celebrate that deliverance, that true mercy. The upper room tradition is clear in scripture. When the meal was over, they sang a hymn and departed. And that's what we'll do this afternoon. We will sing a hymn and share our faith as we depart. Partners with Christ, adopted children into his family, community and friends. And so, Lord, we depart in joy, grateful for this communion and this community and your presence among us and for the renewal that comes in redemption and restoration. We give you glory. Amen.